everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 528, recording today, Wednesday, the 21st of March, 2018. Uh, this is the Music Technology Podcast. We talk about all things to do with controllers, synthesizers, electronics, recording equipment, live production, live performance, studios, all of that kind of thing. So if that's the sort of thing you're interested in, you're in for a treat. And uh, this week, uh, I also want to say thank you very much to Isotope, who will be providing a prize. You can win a copy of Ozone 8 a little bit later, which is their fantastic suite of plugins that enable you to get the most out of your mix. You're using their kind of uh, AI technology, all of their clever stuff to make your mix sound even better than it already does. Uh, but this week, we're very pleased to have a new guest in the form of Mr. Jamie Liddell, who is there in uh, Nashville. Jamie, of course. Well, A, you've got a lovely studio there. What's that behind you? Is that a Voyager, a Mini Moog and a Rhodes Chroma, right? Yeah, you can you can make out a clav. I've got a Prophet two thousand under it. Uh, yeah. Oh, nice. I've got some old Korgs, and I've got all kinds of stuff: SP twelve hundred, MPC sixty, Jupiter four, Prophet five, OBXA, a bunch of good mics, and uh, you know, loads of outboard. Old, uh, I've got an Infernal machine, Publisher. Oh, Publisher, you know the old school stock eight and a Wharton yeah. chorus flyer. It's incredible that thing. Yeah, I've not I've not used it for that, but I should. I should well, do yeah. it, and I should be so lucky moment here. Yeah. <laughs> well, they used to they used to fly in uh, in because their backing vocals were always really good on those records, or really sort of uh, well made, shall we say? And they used to kind of build them up and then spin them in in choruses using the publisher yeah. in the early days, as far as I remember. It's but unreal. I, it can sample for twenty seconds. Wow, and that's ancient Which technology as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Of course, Jamie, yeah. Yeah, of course, uh, fantastic vocalist, uh, recording yeah. artist, um, I don't, well, looper, but uh, beatboxer sounds like the wrong yeah. term, but somebody builds up kind of uh, layers. I mean, I've been watching some of your videos recently and they, your stuff is great and you've got a fantastic voice and you're in Nashville, you. the home of the hits, right? Wow, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strange one. I've been here seven years and... Uh, it was definitely not in the master plan, but then uh, it's a, it's a bizarre little place. It's got some, uh, it's obviously got some lifestyle benefits, and I, I've loved being here. It's it's been a really good time for me as a as a human being. Yeah, as well, a maker I, of things. I remember that Nashville, of course. I mean, when you go, when I've been there a couple of times for summer Nam. It feel in the same way that when you go to LA, it feels like the sort of center of the movie world. Nashville feels authentically built on music, although there is obviously banking and other industries and uh, a spearmint rhino. I remember very popular there as well, but uh, it Help. feels like the bedrock is kind of music based, and that's a real kind of it. Yeah. Fit, you can sort of feel it in the air almost. It's funny because I think, yeah, things have with all the great advantages advances in tech and everything you know there's all the always these terrible side effects of everyone considering themselves a musician to an extent being able to throw in these huge building blocks from sample packs or whatever and going i've made a track and then sort of umming and ahhing a few bits on top and you know and calling that a song uh whereas nashville of course is very rooted in you've got your instrument you've got your you've got a basic very vulnerable setup and you perform your song to a bunch of people who know what a good song is. And if they're not moved, you haven't got a good song. You don't, you know, no production's going to hide, you know, going to allow you to hide 
when you're just sitting there with a the guitar just playing your song to a bunch of people and i guess that's a weird sort of in a way who'd want to do that relevant, I, <laughs> I know it's, like it's, a nightmare. exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they do it all the time here and it's funny that's mm. how they write songs here still and it's really the emphasis i'd say nashville's thing versus la for example it's all about the song here yeah versus you know the sound in a weird way so it, it's cool uh, i mean not that that's my approach in here obviously i i quite happily hide behind a million like meows and, <laughs> and you know I, I don't have any particular rules nothing is sacred in here but at the same time i do appreciate that i have experienced it and i'm sure we all have that you can you you've tried many a times to polish a turd and yeah. you should have basically written a good song and then flushed it hung all yeah. stuff on it. <laughs> Just I mean, flush. really, they've got it right here. Yeah, you I, definitely. That's a candidate. That's a candidate for the t- show title there. Just flush it. Yeah. Just flush. Yeah. Just flush Just it. Flush. Right. Okay. There we go. <laughs> and of course, we also have Mr. Gaz Williams, who's here in Bristol. Good grief! It looks like it's sunny. Gaz, of course, basically it is. Uh, well. Or have you just got like, is there some sort of nuclear winter going on out there? <laughs> oh, God, don't say that. <laughs> no, um, okay, forget that. <laughs> it's coming your way, um, if there is. Yeah, that's true. Ah! Uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm just yeah, so happy to be on the show, uh, and especially with Jamie, because, you know, wow, I've been yeah, a big fan for a very long time. Uh, and, you know, and I always was really intrigued by the way that you'd sort of combined real kind of kind of classic staxy motowny things with kind of crazy technology as well i loved that and i thought very few people do that so that was really what kind of just turned me on to what you're doing i thought it was brilliant um but i mean that voice of yours definitely helps <laughs> yeah absolutely no i mean sorry sorry i would agree be it yeah. um but yes delighted to be here um again it's great so thank you uh, yeah, I, well, I, I, I wanted—I I, want—that's all right. I, I wanted to come back to Jamie actually because obviously new guest and maybe not everybody knows the kind of thing that you're up to. And I was just—I was really curious as to sort of. There's quite a lot of stuff that you do that I just think, how did that kind of happen? Because I mean, essentially, you know, you're very fortunate in the fact you've got a great voice, but you can vocalise things. So that uh, you kind of adopted the. What? Where did you go from the singing part to getting into the idea of building and layerings via via looping? How did you start? Because I know now you're using the sort of Tim Tim XL's type flow machine, but what happened before then? Yeah, uh, basically, uh, I signed to Warp Records. I'd always wanted to be on Warp Records. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, how am I going to get on Warp Records? It's a, kind of a long story in a way, but I lived in Brighton at the time and I was kind of seeing square pusher and a few characters that were in his orbit on a regular basis there was this whole sort of chelmsford crew that i hung out with a lot in uh, in brighton and one of those guys was a guy called hardy who who ran a label with this guy paul fowler called spy mania that put out the original square pusher oh. stuff and those guys were my right. pals and we did a, we did a lot of kind of odd music and uh, I was very happy to be making it. And that was my time. I was obsessed with Sun Ra. I was listening to a lot of noise music and and soul. And, you know, like I do now, I've always had this weird eclectic taste. And, uh, uh, yeah, I put out a record on Spy Mania, knowing that, in a way, that would be a potential inroad to Warp. And sure enough, they liked it. They liked the, the song on the record that was 
a bit more of a, an R&B track. Okay. They could kind of think, oh, this guy makes all these sounds, but he's got a voice. This is odd. And uh, I think that was that was a starting point. So I got signed in 99, and then I spent all the advance moving to Berlin and sort of <laughs> found myself, like, screwed. I couldn't actually make the record that, that I needed to make. So I had to realize I had to, I had to play live. And sort of, I basically looked at what I could do as kind of like what what and uh, what would differentiate me from my peers at the time. I I wasn't as good a techno artist as the people that I was working with, Christian Vogel, Neil Landstrom, you know, all the guys that I was kind of f- friends with and and making stuff with. They were better at that than I was. And I thought, well, I can sing now. How am I going to use my voice? and sort of make it stand out. And actually it was Matthew Herbert that I saw play. We used to have a night at the end. Do you remember that club, the end in London? Not me. Gaz may have gone. Yeah. Well, we had a night and actually weirdly like Chris Cunningham played there. It was a really good night. Christian Vogel really, and his crew and no future guys arranged that whole thing. Um, But yeah, I saw Matthew Herbert play there and he had just these boss pedals. They weren't really, they were loopers, but they were really crude. You know, they could sample like for a, a second, a couple few seconds, and he'd just make some sounds and keep the kind of energy going with these things. And I thought, man, this is so cool. I could do that. And I basically got one of those, you know, line six delays back when they first came out. And I had like a Boss SP202. And I just used those two things to do my looping, which was really terrible, really. Well, uh, but they, it worked. And I'd just do these purely improvised shows. And in Europe, people would would be all right with that you know i'd get a gig for a few few people just doing these fully improvised shows that have literally no plan and then eventually i realized i needed to make more of this thing people were kind of enjoying it so i I set about learning max msp just in about 2000 and then i spent six months in the lab just building a looper that had multiple outputs and i could sample had a nice little ergonomic flow and that's basically how I bought this house was that looper. Right. Weirdly, because I opened up for James Brown with that looper. I opened up for Bjork several times with that looper. Uh, you know, it was kind of like I, I made my tool. There wasn't something around at that time. And actually, it was the machine that inspired Tim to build his flow machine, seeing me play with my looper at that time. It's a relatively uncharted thing in the looping world. People still don't really, I don't know, not that I feel weird about it, but I, I kind of was, made my whole career off that looper. Interesting. <laughs> and interesting. I, I opened for Beck with that thing. So yeah, it, it was a, wow. it was a cool way to perform. It was a good little looper. I, I, I kind of made a version two of it at one point, but it's once I, once I got into the flow machine, there was no looking back because that thing is, staggeringly yeah. powerful and amazing and i yeah. absolutely love it Tim yeah is, I, I, is, is, well i was watching there was a, mm. a thing you did at red bull academy well worth checking out on youtube where you go through it and you're just oh yeah it's literally i mean the technology is impressive but it's the flu, uh, fluidity and this is the thing that i have i'm really envious of people who are that fluent and you know brain to to mouth is kind of about as short a synaptic distance as it gets <laughs> it so is, if you're yeah. able to be that fluent and just sort of you know, there was just like, oh, yeah, that does this. And then suddenly you're off. You've got another really great idea that was, you know, you just go, oh, it's just a ditty. But, I mean, it, it has 
the ability to make something that sounds and feels compelling and, and, and sounds confident enough to base an entire thing on. I mean, that must be incredibly liberating. I mean, that must have been, that must have taken you places that you just thought this, you know, to incredible heights, I'd imagine. I loved my my looper, much as Tim's is, is, is insanely powerful. My original one had different outputs. I had like five outputs to a console. I have a little Midas. There's actually a good example of it in action where I worked uh, with Nigel Godridge in, uh, in the basement, yeah. it's called. Okay. Uh, they did a bunch of, bunch of video stuff. I was with Beck at the time. And uh, I've I've got my looper there. It's kind of like I used to have an MS20 and a bunch of like Neutron octave pedal and a bunch of other pedals. So once my signals were coming out of the output on the console, I could really like dub it out on the board. And like that's something that I just I miss a little bit. <laughs> I don't have a setup like that in this studio, even though I've got a lot of options. I, I actually have not really got a great way to use you know, something like that anymore. And I, I, it's true, writing with people as I do a lot more these days um, uh, and watching things like, you know, the fact against the clocks and stuff. And I've, I've chatted with Tim about this and we've kind of had a laugh and just been like, man, these guys are, are really great at building stuff, but the looper is it's just so much quicker than that. You know, you can have an idea in a few seconds and it is it's kind of frightening. Talk about, I mean, a lot of them are flush worthy but you know but <laughs> but you know quickly when to flush and 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 sometimes you just keep rolling on something and and if you've got enough patience in a weird way you can kind of sculpt it into something compelling like you say and, that's uh, really interesting yeah, I, I love loopers They're great. How, so how do you i mean if you say you're working on either your looper or the flow machine how does that initial spark of creativity and you know you've built something great how does that then become the basis of a track or do you just kind of go record to two and that's it you know you're done or maybe you might add a few things or what what or you build things on top how do, how would that flow work in terms of turning that initial idea into a finished thing it's funny because I, yeah it's weird i've not really when i worked with beck i worked with beck on an album of mine he produced co-produced uh, my 2010 album compass and uh he really i think wanted me to make an album with the looper because i toured with him using that looper and he i he i think it blew him away a little bit just in terms of like what could be done i, I mean especially at that time obviously looping is something that we're so familiar with now and and it is relatively hard to not just make tracks that sound like they're coming out of a looper, which we, there's yeah. strengths and weaknesses to that. Yeah, that's true. Um, obviously, Tim's machine is particularly um, flexible, so you you can mangle a sound so so far from its original like sound that you you can like a, a like a little like can turn into like some f like crazy modulated like beast of a sound so you, it's really just providing a little bit of a starting point and and adding a sort of a, a swing the things that you're doing regardless of how you're doing it you could try to make a track with a keyboard but you're playing drum sounds for example so mm. it, it might not just not be a, your your main instrument so for me it does make sense to use my voice because like you say that i can express myself with that so it's my main instrument so a thing like a looper is a good way for me to use my main instrument to communicate little ideas and my old looper had multiple outputs of course and i did do a song on my album multiply um a little bit more that was completely done with a looper 
essentially. Uh, and I used to do that song live a lot like that. And, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that uh, from time to time, a song really works well as a loop. Right. You know, not all songs work really well like that. But I mean, you know, there's a lot of great songs that just go round and round. And it's a fluid. I mean, I imagine you know, working in Nashville, if you're working with songwriters and you sort of break out the your that, it must be yeah. a, a. It must be really impressive and move things on quickly. It must be really terrifying for somebody who's who's not able to move as quickly as that with their chosen set of tools to sort of keep up. You know, because that's yeah. the thing. It's like. The, one of the reasons that makes it so compelling is it's just so fast that you just kind of go, wait, uh, I, I don't know what's going on. And it sort of doesn't matter what's going on, really. But in our yeah. world, you sort it of want... It does have to you... sound good. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I think I've, I've, I've had it misfire on me a few times where I've thought, oh, this is going to be a great way to break the ice. But then people have sort of felt like they were just seeing a performance from me, which is definitely not what I wanted. I wanted it to be an inspiring tool, but the, like you said, it had the exact effect of just making them feel like um, almost unwelcome at their own party. Yeah, check me so out. So yeah. you have to be careful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It, it, you have to do that to do something good, but at the same time, it can be a bit showy. So it's a it's a funny thing. You've got, I think, trying and trying to educate someone um, to use it as a tool. Some people take to it really well. I mean, it really does, on a case-by-case basis, it's totally, like, it's actually quite weird. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask a question? So I'm working with a looping setup at the moment, and the thing that I'm finding really difficult is to try and improvise, well, is to try and build an A section going into a B section and trying to get that, you know, like building it from scratch, but doing a distinct A to B shift. And I was just wondering if you had any tips for that, for, you know yeah i mean see what what i mean yeah of course yeah i mean i used Mm. to do i used to sort of have such a simple looper in the beginning tim tim's looper can do multiple length loops you know and they can all be i mean now modern loopers allow you to do that mine always my original one only had a fixed length loop it was just like a delay line um like a tape loop or something and i what i would do is just make too much information on the first pass knowing in my mind that I've got the B section recorded. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, obviously, if you're doing an actual key shift, that could be awkward. But um, the key shift, especially. I'll just, just mute those. Yeah, I'll just mute those parts right. and just reveal them later. If, you, if you're doing a key shift, I think that the secret, again, is just to mute sections and play the new section in real time. So you play your, you right. mute the musical elements. And I mean, yeah, you keep the rhythmic elements constant, mm. mute the, you know, harmonic elements and play the new line live, you know? So you're playing the B section, the other parts are just muted, but you're playing and recording the B section and sort of building that up, but keeping the A section in your back pocket, as it were, to go back to. So which has the added benefit of like increased performance joy for the audience. I mean, I, I am very, mm. as a looper, I'm quite... Um, I've been through a lot of iterations of it and seeing people like um, having too many effects, for example, on the loops. I'm not a fan of that. Even though Tim's thing is very effects heavy, it can be. I prefer a looping setup where you can see and hear what's going on. I think for for an audience, that's more compelling. If, if there's too much black box trickery going on, they, I've had it with people when I didn't. I somehow had more of a hidden system where I'd use my feet and people kind of came up to me saying you didn't do that and there's a there's a certain level of uh yeah that's gonna be disappointing isn't it no but i did yeah (laughs) Yeah. i know but i understand if you don't show the process if you can't 
if you can't connect to it as an audience, you feel a bit conned. So I think there's a there's a there's a weird fine line with looping. I mean, obviously, someone like Ed Sheeran, whatever you think of him, he's incredible at looping. He's just sort yeah. of like yeah. mastered the art of street busking, gone to Wembley basically, to <laughs> yeah. sort of with a nice Gaelic, with you know nice Gaelic yeah. song mm. to back it up. You know, he's he's a perfect example in a way of like the Nashville songwriter with a bunch of tools. <laughs> He, in a way, yeah. he, it's kind of weird. He, he's, yeah, he's he's a good, he's a he's a he's a funny one. That's interesting. I mean, go and play in looping like as as a, as a looper. Mm. Like the idea of playing on your own at Wembley is pretty insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember amazing. seeing. Sorry. I remember seeing at Glaston, yeah. seeing the Glastonbury show, and I just thought, wow, you know, mm. I mean, that's brave. I thought that was very brave, and you really sort of thought, okay, that fair dues, you know, it 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 becomes totally. very much about the song. I mean, which is it can be a little bit uh, um, limited with the way that it can go, but you know, yeah. it hasn't done, he hasn't tuned too badly out of it, has he? So it's worked for him, I guess. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's taken the loops to Wembley, which is basically insane i mean it's a sign of that that's what shows for me the lineage of it all having seen matthew herbert when we're talking about the late 90s you know it took that long but but it happened yeah amazing and it's a major, sort of, mo- a major it, sorry go for it i was going to say a major moment in looping history was when um katie tunstall was a, a replacement guest emergence you know like a last minute guest on the jules holland show and did her uh so what was it flat and the tree the Oh, suddenly, suddenly I can't I see. Is it that one? I can't remember. That. No, before that. Telescope. No, um, telescope? Wild. I, I can't remember what it's called. Something in the tree. The cherry, cherry in the tree, or something. I can't remember. But she did that really, really well. Like a complete yeah, arrangement great, using yeah. a looper pedal, and just. Uh, and I, and I think, but but coming back to your point there, I think everyone could see her doing that, and that sort of black yep. box trickery thing. You know, people could kind of see the skill that she was going on and really appreciated it. But I think from a mainstream point of view, I think uh, in Britain anyway, I think that was a real kind of moment of just, you know, like, mm. wow, looping is a, has, yeah. has kind of arrived in the mainstream. Wow. Oh, I can't yeah. remember the name of the song. That's terrible. Oh, I, but, I yeah. forget now. I think the thing about it is also when you see it done well, it, it just kind of blow. It does blow your mind because it's just. I mean, like you say, many of us have difficulty in kind of finishing and, and completing stuff when we're sat in front of a computer. In fact, that, that this sort of relates back to the Nashville story. When I last in Nashville, uh, there was uh, some sort of a party at one of the Sony CBS studio, and I met. I, I'd been working on an album with uh, a golf rap, which is very meticulously constructed. You know, it's it, oh, it's yeah. it's very door heavy, and you know, it's it's layered upon layered and and discard, and you know, and it comes out great. But it, the process is is so completely different to Nashville. And I went to Nashville, and 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 they were just saying, yeah, well, the way it works is uh, we get the band in in the morning, uh, they'll go through the numbers a bit, then we'll record the album in the afternoon. <laughs> I was just like. <laughs> right, and I'm still working on the hi hat part for the uh, intro, yeah, you know, and it just it, it was it just really blew my mind that whole that way of working that just relies on yeah. skill and instinct. You know, it's really impressive, isn't it? There's a lot to be said for it, although they a lot of the records do. Yeah, they're not the always to your flat. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, it, I mean, it, when you set up all the mics exactly the same way every time, and it's the same players, they all know each other, they read the charts. It is a bit more. You know, it's it's, it's understandable so, how it goes yeah. down. I suppose so. But yeah, I, I know yeah. what you mean. Gets a bit cookie cut. It does cookie reveal a good song. It does. It does. They could do with like a balance. They need someone in there like questioning the hi hat sound. 
But flange on the hi hat will revolutionise. You know, it would just be unthinkable. It would be called fluntry music or something. Yeah, that could be like a whole new genre. Right. um, No, fantastic. Thank you very much for that insight. I mean, I think um, let's get into a bit of uh, a bit of topicery. Let's why not? Because this sort of opens it out, and we can. We can we take it out. I don't know if anyone saw this one. Uh, this got parental advisory content because uh, there was an F bomb. We won't get there because this is very long. But something's just arrived today. Which are cut. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Yellow Technology took my other iMac and basically cloned it with the cylinder. And today they're going to fit it. So basically, I get to kind of go to lunch and maybe hang out at my favourite stationery shops. Let's do some control tests with the cylinder. This is good That's a weird confession. kind of Abbey Road project that I've been working on. It's certainly the most number of notes for the most number of instruments I've written in a while. So lots of lovely short notes. There's legatos in there. There's longs. uh, So the gist of this is basically uh, Christian Henson, who is one of the uh, co-owners or co-founders of Spitfire Audio. They make fantastic audio uh, um, orchestral samples and really interesting articulations. Uh, he's also a composer, and obviously he was he got a new Mac Pro, uh, iMac Pro, which is the uh, latest sort of version. But he had his old cylinder, cylinder as well, which is the same thing as you've got, I think, Gaz. And he just thought, what happens if I just completely overload it? You know, like reverb on every channel, two reverbs on every channel. And he got up to something, I think it was kind of 173 instances of, of contact plus reverb plus reverb. And it didn't break. And the iMac Pro was better, you know, it didn't break, it broke less, was <laughs> still had the, <laughs> but it just got me thinking a little bit about, <coughs> excuse me, the need for power and speed. It's like, how much of this is, do we really need? I suppose if he was using Ultiverb on every channel, I'll start with you guys, because you've got a cylinder and, you know, it, I don't know that you you get often to the point, there are obviously frustrations about any computer system, but in terms of actual power, does it deliver all you need? I mean, do you really need any more grunt? No, not not really. No. And I've changed my working habits a lot as well, because I just don't really use VST instruments anymore. I'm just using just what I've got in my room. Uh, or I use very, very rarely. Uh, so I think they are, in real time, instruments are always the kind of CPU hog. So, uh, you know, I think the effects... I mean, I do these big multi-channel audio projects, and no, I mean, I, I, I no, I don't run out of headroom. As I say, I think as soon as I start chucking in virtual instruments, especially you know things like Omnisphere or whatever, they can be uh, quite juicy. Um, but uh, yeah, um, that Christian Henson, he's he's a character, isn't he? He's really charismatic yeah i've interviewed him a couple of times he's uh, we did a Mm. uh, meet uh, Meet the makers thing with him and he's really interesting (laughs) bloke and yeah he's good knows what he wants to do but also is an extremely skilled orchestrator you know so right um sorry that was an aside but yeah i think um yeah i think it's i think it's interesting in that we've talked about this over the years haven't we when when various things have happened which has kind of given a speed boost to the processing ability and you know i mean I still work at 44.1, 24-bit, pretty much. I mean, I have dabbled with 96, but I generally come back to 44.1 for a whole host of reasons. Um, and with that, you know, so I guess if you are running 192K and massive sample libraries and all that kind of stuff, you know, you are going to be really kind of chasing the power thing. But for me, I mean, I just want to 
record like it's 1973, really. <laughs> you need to go to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah, they don't go so much to tape, but yeah, I know Jamie. I mean, you know, I don't know how much power you know you say you, your your previous or any of your looping systems, but I'm guessing at, there were points at which it was like really pushing the boundaries of what the current CPU could do. I mean, are those are those kind of issues that are, are they a problem anymore, or are you right at the top of where you can go anyway with your CPU? Because I mean, here we've been used. We've only just upgraded our 2009. Uh, Mac Pros, you know, from and that's yeah. and that's for video work. So <laughs> yeah, now I know. I mean, I'm running everything, and I've I've done this for a while, just off my laptop, and uh, I've got one of those touch bar things, and they're all right, but they're fanny. So that's actually a total nightmare for me. It's really the fan. <laughs> I mean, it comes down to oh. the fan for me. So it's like ah, it, I'm, glad, I'm glad you clarified <laughs> that you statement. <laughs> I thought I, no. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was yeah. I thought that was a Nashville phrase that we hadn't got over yet. Like ass, you know, it's a bunch of ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've changed. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a strange bird now. I've been out of England for 18 years, so I'm I'm definitely. Wow. I go back to England. And like, Where are you from? I'm like, oh man, mid Atlantic. <laughs> Where do I start? Yeah, exactly. I'm lost in sea. But I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I I I, I would like more juice. I mean. But, I mean, it's just kind of – and when those iMac Pros came out, I was kind of, like, thinking, oh, I could probably, you know, do this with it. I could probably do that with it. And then I just got over the, you know, the kind of sales pitch that kind of got into my head for a hot minute, thinking, oh, render times are a pain in my ass, you know, especially with the podcast. It takes me a long time to render my podcast out in a way. But I quite like having a little bit of time to do something else. I mean, you know what I mean? How much mm. time do we really need to save? But the, but yeah, I mean, if I was doing, I can see that there could be new kinds of processes that are not quite possible right now, like real-time mm. spectral stuff that could get really intense and possibly open new sonic doors that possibly, you know, we might need new CPUs for that. Uh, mm, but I don't yeah. think this current iteration is anywhere near fast enough for that. We're still at the Moore's Law problem area, Thanks. aren't we, with uh, with silicon? Yeah, maybe It so. was interesting, interesting you saying that about the podcast. I, when I answered the question earlier, I was completely filtering that through my music, sort of making part of my computer system, but not thinking about the video editing side of it, which... I'm right, desperate for more processing. Yeah, that's yeah. a very different oh, thing. I mean, it's a, it's a completely... And I think that's where the iMac yeah. Pro is mostly sort of focused at, really, isn't yeah. it? But, um, yeah, I think so. But, you know... I think so. Yeah. I should actually point out, um, I didn't plug this earlier, but if you go to Jamie Little Music, one of the reasons that we got hooked up was uh, you've got a weekly podcast, or a, a, an episodic podcast, should we say. Bi-weekly. Of, uh, bi-weekly, okay, of... Uh, 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 hanging with all hanging out with audio files and it's interesting uh yeah. music people producers uh players engineers there's a whole bunch of stuff there it's great and it's something that you got in touch with and you know we posted a news item which is how we got in touch so i feel it's only fair Thanks that, for I, that by the way. Yeah, great. I, I plug it for you as well if Thanks, uh, yeah. not that I'm no, it's sure been a big need... deal for me it's been a big deal I've, I've spent a half a year doing it now and uh i've really loved it i didn't know how much it was actually my wife that really encouraged me to <laughs> see it through as it were from just an idea to to a reality and uh i've, I've been really really loving doing it it's it, it's funny it will come it, sometimes it'll be like on a it'll be a friday night and i'll be have been doing some other stuff and i realize oh man i've got to get this show together by monday and it takes me a couple of nights of especially being a dad i only really work at night 
right, from seven yeah. o'clock onwards. And that time, you know, nighttime is great, but it go somehow time moves quicker at night. Do you guys find that? I don't know. There's sort of sometimes in a day when time moves slowly, and and at night I will look at the clock, and from seven till ten, it's just gone. <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah. I can either stay up till two and just be totally knackered. Or I can try and just call it a night at 11.30 or 12 and just do the right thing and get up with everyone in the morning. So, yeah, it's been it's been funny just finding time to do it because it just takes so long to listen and edit the interviews. I try to really edit them a lot, which is something yeah. I didn't realize I'd have to do. But obviously, the, it, it, when it comes to listening to people talk for an, like an hour or something, wow, it's bizarre myself included the, the tangents that kind of occur in like regular speech are quite bizarre. tangents tangents i don't know what on earth what you're they? talking about well as you know that this podcast is heavily edited post of the fact so i like to keep everything really tight i'm actually I'm, but I I, I I i you're absolutely right i mean you know we've managed to create a, a, an ecosystem here where that's not so much of a big deal but when you're talking no. to people it's very important how they get rep- represented and sometimes that might we do it when we're doing videos here and somebody might say something and I might think well somebody might take that the wrong way so I would edit that for them to make them you know not look like an idiot you know because that's not nobody really wants that unless they are idiots and that's what they want and it's a comedy show that's fine but you try you know that that those decisions sometimes take a very long time to ruminate and get right so I mean yeah I I totally get you there I'm the master of the shuffle edit now I can do bizarre (laughs) like mid syllable cuts and stuff it's quite yeah. i should do a little episode actually on the tech segment of the podcast about yeah. speech editing because it's yeah. kind of there's a lot of tricks that are starting to emerge for me and i can use them in music production too for vocal comping like uh things that you would think would be an awkward place to splice they can be the best times to splice you know um Anyway, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's I love doing the show and I, I try to make tech segments and stuff. That actually takes me possibly the longest amount of time to think of things to say that might be compelling to record them and sort of almost have that kind of BBC approach to kind of how we're gonna educate people through sound alone. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a, it, with video it's so much easier, you know. You yeah, well you that's know. true. That's true. A picture in a thousand words and all that. A moving picture is probably like ten thousand words. So I mean without all of that it's it's quite it's quite tricky but i like the immersive nature of it and i i do like the kind of almost the old school this is a radio broadcast kind of aspect of it it's <laughs> yeah so, no, for that's example, another... with this podcast I, I i would never watch this i would only ever listen to it as a podcast probably because of my dad life and i if i'm pushing the stroller i'll probably just pod it versus having enough time to watch this yeah compelling as we all are of course yeah um, well, I, you know that goes without it's saying. an audio document for me yeah well no and i think that's yeah. the case for a lot because that's how this this show started uh, just pulling it back to the imac pro um in case you were interested in maybe picking one up uh, uh they start at four thousand nine hundred quid and this this i was looking at this and i was going oh i wonder it's like oh yeah let's stick a hundred uh, ten core graphics okay that's ten grand and i haven't even upgraded the processor yet oh no that's probably about as fast as that goes Let's stick. Oh no, we, that, that's yeah. That's the first. That, that's as high as it goes. But that but is that could probably uh, that could probably edit a pretty decent Hollywood style movie on it though, couldn't it? Well, I hope so. <laughs> but you could get like a PC. I mean, I think at video oh, yeah. levels, you should be getting PC, shouldn't you? Really? At I, this think, point, I, at I think. I think you know. 
Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. It's but, all, you know, it, yeah, you make it work for your your setup. Like you've got PCs for this show, right? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. PC. APC. So, I mean, well, yeah. we went from we went from about six Macs to one PC and a laptop, which <laughs> is just spitting out the the web ba- the web pages that we show. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, hey, uh, yeah. If you gave me one, I wouldn't say no, but it is so pricey; it's just too much, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think so. You could buy For most. It. Yeah, I mean, the PC that we run this on, which will handle 4K video, uh, it was about two grand. You know, and then that's the thing. I mean, I mean, it's it, nothing it, it, like it, as one, powerful as that, obviously, but it's powerful well, enough. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, I, uh, we should probably um, interject with some uh, a message from our friends at Isotope because, uh, obviously, this is the prize that's coming up. Um, should point out, those of you who've been waiting, this is Ozone 8. This is the Master Assistant being one of it. Ozone is a, is a suite of mastering uh, plugins. Uh, and, and features which allow you to visualize and start your mix mastering process. You start with the master assistant, which will ask you various questions, analyze your audio, and then go, how about starting with this? And it'll try and get you to where you, it thinks you want to go. And it's actually pretty accurate and pretty a pretty good starting point, which you can tweak with. There's also the tonal balance control, which sort of visualizes the energy in each of the frequency regions and shows you how to kind of keep it within that, again, within the area you're looking for. But it's not, you know, there's plenty of leeway, so you can move it around. There's the ability to control other instances of ozone and also neutron too from within the same session. So you can affect the mix without having to bounce down sort of in real time, which is very uh, handy as well. And these visual controls make it much easier to see things because you can't always trust our speakers in our ears if we're tired or whatever. Uh, ability also to compare up to 10 tracks. Uh, so if you're going for a sound that's a bit like something else, you can s- compare between the two different uh, sections of a track and you know nail it, look at the spectral analysis. Uh, in-app referencing, there's loads of things that you could do with this. So if you're into mastering, you're into sort of getting the best final mix out of your audio, or even maybe just processing buses or whatever, Ozone really is something well worth looking for. Uh, if you go to isotope.com forward slash Ozone, you get, as usual, a 10-day demo, and you can download that, and it'll be all there for you. Uh, and I think that's basically fully functional. Uh, we should also mention that we got a competition. Last week, we asked you to uh, tweet a couple of hashtags uh, to enter the competition. We've got a winner this week. Uh, hopefully, I can pronounce this. Uh, I might just say his Twitter handle because it's Christoph Shizowski. Oh, man, I should have read this. But I should have practiced this before I look. I'm just looking at it now. S-Z-Y-C-H-O-S-K-I. Shizowski, maybe, I think. Shizowski. Anyway, the Twitter handle is at Sonic Orchestra, which is uh, nice and apt. And uh, you are the winner of this week's uh, Ozone 8. So if you want to get in touch, uh, we'll be able to get Isotope to drop that in your inbox and you'll be the winner. What would be grand to win Ozone Help? Uh, Ozone 8 Help would be helpful. Indeed, it would. Thank you very much. Anyway, Christoph, you are the winner. So uh, congratulations to you. Um, so where do we get to? We're, uh, oh yeah, archives. Now this was an interesting one. And, and this is kind of, uh, where have I got it? I'm sure. I'm, oh yeah. Uh, let me find. This is the USB, the UCSB cylinder archive. What's the cylinder of the day? And this is basically a wax cylinder, which is the, Ed- the Ed- Edison invention, which started in about 1890, I think it was. 1870, 1890 was when it started to go into full production. And as many people don't know, it was essentially the very beginning of mass 
distributed and produced music outside of sheet music? Because before then, you know, you'd sit around the piano, you'd buy the sheet music, you'd sing it, or you'd go and see a band in your local music hall or bar or whatever. This was the first time that this became, it predates records. This is when things were mass produced. So what's today? This is, uh, there's a mother always waiting you at home, right? Performed by Will Oakland and Chorus. I don't know what this is going to sound like. I have absolutely no idea. Crackly, I'd imagine. <laughs> I wonder if there's any vocal. Well, chorus, I'd imagine there will be. Here it comes. I might not play anymore because uh, there are some commercial <laughs> licensing it. issues. But this is beautiful. There are basically 10,000 of these online wow. uh, that have been, wow. uh, and they're free to play. I mean, if you wanted to use them commercially, wow. then it would cut. But there's just tons of, I, and I tried to find some of the oldest ones, and I was sort of thinking, oh, I could make a great headline. Let's check out what the kids were listening to in 1890. But think about it 1890, 117 years ago with their recordings here from. I mean, it's astonishing, really, when you think about it. And in terms of archive, you know, it, it's a great resource. It's the University of Santa Barbara. Uh, well worth looking at. I couldn't find... I was really looking for some telharmonium or some really early electronic music stuff, and they haven't got any of that, which is a real shame, but there's loads and loads of other things. I don't know, Gaz, fan mm. of archives? I mean, you know, there's there are a bunch of them yeah. online, but this, this, this one is really kind of major. If you can get over... I mean, they're noisy because that's the nature mm. of wax cylinders, yeah. but it, it represents a, a real huge body of work. Mm. I can't help sort of like, you know, getting like fantasy images as that, as I was, we were listening to that then just trying to imagine what, how that recording was actually taking place and what people were wearing and what, you know, just, I love it. I love that. Cause all that information just hearing in and that voice was beautiful. Wasn't it just amazing. So yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm definitely going to be checking this out. Thanks for the tip off. Uh, that's all right. It's very, it's very interesting because obviously the way that people sing and play, uh, I imagine a lot of it was going in as it used to. It used to go into like a big funnel, so you get that kind of slightly oh ho 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 because the sound is captured and brought in, and right, the way right. they stand about. And also pre amplification, you have to you you would sing in a different way, a loud and kind of nasally way, a shouty way almost to get you know, to get the, the sound out. I know, I, I'm, I'm wondering whether, I mean, in the home of National, where they bake tapes on a regular yeah. basis to bring them out of the archives and keep them going. I mean, this is this is an inter- interesting topic, I think, for me, anyway. It's great. It's actually my guest on on my on my most recent podcast, Roger Mutino, has um, one of those wax under players. So I've heard one, like, in person, sort of playing back. And, uh, yeah, it's it's undeniably a magical experience. For a lot of reasons, isn't it? Just not just the history, but just the sound is something that we're so familiar with. Is is this brilliant um, tonal quality that sort of I don't know makes mid range. Yeah, just mid range. (laughs) I mean, it makes you realise mid range used to be all there was. All there was, (laughs) but in a way, it's still basically all you really need to communicate. So. pretty pretty incredible i love i love the idea that there's the you know people will take these recording devices into all manner of strange sort of air places you know pop it down and everyone's crowded around it would be amazing to see like photographs of the sessions as well just to see where everyone was and like what kind of rooms they were in and you know just their their reactions to this weird device it just just the idea that it was so novel 
is something that obviously you know having a two-year-old and stuff accessing all music ever made on spotify with the kind yeah. of demanding you know thing of like let's have a listen to lee perry now dad let's have a listen to this it's kind of like <laughs> you know when you've only got such a limited thing it's like makes it so magical doesn't it i've got i've just yeah, found a video of what it looks like oh. this is a, this is a, a oh. recreation hold on so i think there he goes he's singing down a great oh, yeah, big yeah, trumpet yeah. this is so cool and it's a wind-up sort of. Yeah. Even dressed the part. Nice pause there. Reverend Gary Davis did this. Blind Reverend Gary Davis. Okay, let's get on with it. You've probably heard the term "cut a record." You ever heard that term? We're literally cutting a record here. I like your thing, cutting a hottie. Waxing a hottie. I thought that's what it well, was. Waxing a hottie. Waxing, I'm better. pretty waxing sure waxing a hottie. hottie. It came out because it was, uh, yeah, waxing a hottie. When we always used to get phone, you know, phone calls when, as as inevitably when you're remixing and you're doing that kind of thing that isn't actually creative. It's just the sort of tinkering for hours. You know, people would ring up and say, "What are you up to?" And and we'd inevitably say, "Oh, I can't come. I'm waxing a hottie." Because that was the, <laughs> that was the better than I'm sitting in a studio looking at a screen crapping myself because i haven't come up with a decent you know <laughs> decent hang a decent hook to hang the remix hey, concept hey, off nick do you know that do you know that just while we're on the archive thing that radio.com radio with lots of o's um <laughs> it's just an absolute that's been my favorite archive radio i, I don't know how many o's there is radio. i'll try three dot com. Uh, there are five uh, there are five radios. There we go. This is a pick a country yeah. and pick a date. Oh, Fantastic. Wow. That's you neat. You pick a country, you can pick a date, you can also pick between like three music, like I think, what is it? Oh uh, my you goodness. You genres there. Start. Yeah, so it's great. absolutely brilliant. And you can make a radio station based on various, you know, so you can pick your country, pick the decade and then let it go. That and is awesome. That's a, that's yeah, a, I have to say I have to say that's a slightly more friendly version of... Uh, it is, isn't it? than okay. this so which is so uh let's have a look this is really yeah this is uh yeah this is not quite the same yeah. experience but i'm glad <laughs> no, it's there they need, yeah. Yeah. they need to incorporate yeah some kind of endless player don't they they need to make it so that you don't have to do anything you can just kind of yeah, listen yeah. now move a slider that's what that radio that's yeah. what that radio that's brilliant. I don't have to experience yeah. that as well. There was a similar thing That's that we beautiful. did. So we did really something good. years ago, wasn't it, where that people um, upload field recordings and geotag them, and you can just kind of go, "What does it sound like here?" Uh, yeah, <laughs> and you that. just have a fit, you know, a sort of binaural recording of you know the, the yeah. shipyard in Gdansk or whatever it may be, and that was really good. That's a, I, I always thought that. that'd be good. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Doing tours of America, I always thought it'd be nice when you, you know you wake up in a strange place, and it'll be cool just to have. I guess it's it's kind of like a mm. Wikipedia almost audio Wikipedia, and it's like, where are we now? It's like, well, some of these songs were recorded just around the corner, and it's like getting a sort of audio history of the place you're in, just sort of relative to where you where you are, and it'll kind of know all that stuff. But I mean, all that technology is basically coming, isn't it? I suppose so. I mean, the thing that's very interesting as well about audio is, you know, our brains are incredibly fast at identifying 
patterns and, and and recognizing audio signatures of things you know we can you know that's why people can go oh that's a lindrum or that's a you know it it, it it's it's an amazingly um we're amazingly sensitive at that so it, it makes sense to use that it's almost like you know in the same way that perfume is used to evoke memories of a time and a place you know the sound can do the same thing and i think it'd be wouldn't be a bad idea, perhaps. You know, maybe I, I'm sure the problem is, is you know, you could that would be great. I know if I, my phone's just recording all the time, so I've always got a record of it, and I can go, oh, what was I doing? You know, but then again, you have got privacy issues and all of that stuff, which is not is very when, current. So, when do you think nasal field recorders are going to come out? <laughs> nasal field recorders, yeah. Do you think Zoom? Yeah. The Zoom will be have you know we've had in ear, maybe we'll have like in nose, like, just like a, in no, like it, a nose, just to, because yeah, you know. I think Zoom probably have got one. Gaz, you're looking even more biblical at the moment. That's just like oh, I don't think I've got a, a choral sample we can put underneath that. This is going to be light and maybe a mouth. Oh, hold on, can you do that again? I'm going to take that. I, I figured out how to get a uh, screen capture of that, so I'm going to get that. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Thank you, Gav. <laughs> eating lighting. I don't know. I mean, archiving is is important, isn't it? I mean, you move. You, you obviously with your moves. What what have you done with your archives? I mean, do you have everything you ever had, or do you, do some things fall? I've got loads of stuff on that that I'm probably never going to see the light of day. I've got things of you know. Do you bother, or do you just try and limit it to the the projects or the products that you, that are kind of relevant to your current time and place? Yeah, I mean. I, will, I, I try to remind myself when I'm finishing something these days to essentially commit everything and end up with what is essentially an old school tape multi-track bounce or something. Because the amount of times I have tried to unleash, you know, the audio of an old project only to find like battery is missing all its sounds. Cannot load. And you just get a list of errors and you think, well, there you go. I can't listen to this. It's actually impossible. So I think the the lesson is to sort of, if you care about anything, just to commit it to essentially a multi-track with no plugins and render the whole thing out. I wish actually companies, I mean, obviously in Ableton, it's relatively put it in the Put it in the contract, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would do, I, I, I've, well, you know, I've been making sample packs recently and it actually is something that's super handy and i and i'm i'm and i made a thing as well i don't know if you ever caught wind of this it's called needle drop and it's essentially you can throw audio into an itunes playlist and what's cool about itunes is you could take well i did this for my last album you can take a folder that represents everything that is an album you know all of the notes all of the lyrics all of the audio all the sessions and everything pull the whole thing just into itunes and it will filter out everything that's not audio keep everything that is audio and make a massive playlist out of it i did it for my last album i got seventeen thousand audio files ultimately <laughs> we've, we've got an archive situation on our hands in a way you know so i made essentially um a, a shell script operated itunes remote app in max msp that operates from inside um ableton and you can use your computer keyboard to just um play and essentially needle drop through massive playlists of audio and it, it jumps to a random track at a random position in any of those tracks literally lets you hyperspace through audio 
And when you hit record, it makes a new track in Ableton, names it with the name of the actual track and, you know, the artist and the track name each time and then sends each one to a, a simpler, chops up the audio using more shell script and crazy devious max programming. And then you've got a way to make music from recordings that you've already made that are basically forgotten. So I kind of, uh, it's an art, mm. it's like kind of finding the hidden gems in your own archive is actually an issue. So I made this hyperspace needle dropper to kind of counteract really the problem. It's available idea. on the Max for Live <laughs> devices. You can, you know, that Max for Live kind of website that's got yeah, all of those yeah. devices. It's available there. And on one of my show notes, I've, I've got a link to it. Not many people use it because it's quite convoluted to set up in a way. But um, when it works, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. You, you can come up with what I wanted to do is a kind of an Eno style count like some some way to get over this sort of blank slate problem of creating a song and having sounds you essentially i wanted to make a version of it that you just open a patch an ableton session and it would essentially do all of that for you it would play random tracks record them onto simplers and then delete the itunes remote and all you'd have in your session is eight simplers all loaded with and sounds that have already been chopped up that are in your playlists and stuff. And then you have a, like a template of sounds to make music with. That's an interesting so idea. You, you, yeah. No, yeah. Really so sort of like an auto inspire button. Auto inspire. Yeah. That we can all do with that one. I think the other thing that, <laughs> yeah. that would probably make sense is if all, if there was a standard sort of XML format that you could, if you just did collect all and save, which is an Ableton thing, but not only did that, yeah bring everything together in a folder. It also made copies of all the plugins you used or saved presets of plugins that were used, even if they weren't pre, you know, even if they were not actually uh, modified. So you have all of that stuff in a structured form. So the worst case scenario, you could, you could reload it and load the plugins in, you know, I mean, obviously, or collect all a bounce maybe so that everything that is a virtual instrument or that has real effects processing just stems out and you just go dunk and it just goes yeah that's sorted don't worry i've made an archive session with everything bounced everything done like this and that can go and live somewhere maybe i mean it it takes time you've got to be careful with stemming and and you can bounce all individual tracks but if you if your your sessions in ableton are complicated they have more grouping and and effects on the groups and doing that won't actually bring back the sound of the session. You, you've, you've got to just physically take the time to think, yeah, what do I do true. to bring this thing back? Do I just mm. like, and I think what I love about Ableton 10 is the groups within groups. So I've been doing a lot of that recently. Just stem making is great. You can just go, ah, these are all the bases. These are all the drums. That would be enough for me to bring this guy back. It won't be everything, but if I wanted to press play on it and then say, I can separate the drums, then I could. Maybe that's the more sensible way of archiving. We just kind of turn 128 tracks or whatever this stupid modern track count is these days into essentially eight tracks, 16 tracks, like a, a reasonable old school session. And oh, wait, so like with, with grouping, because you've got groups within groups, that means that you can you can just go all of these in a group and then you can bust that group out as a, as a bounce. Is that what you're saying? Well, in Ableton, you can just bounce selected tracks. So you could just have selected tracks over a t- over a, over an area of time and just go only bounce these, and if they're only groups, then it just bounces those. Mm-hmm. The only ah. thing that you don't have is the master bus effects, which in my case is actually a big deal. So then you're mm-hmm. sort of scuppered. Oh, but well. it would be cool if they <laughs> could do a negative. What they should do is do a negative, like make an audio file that is the additional audio that's added to the unmastered song. 
is a kind of like an, an additive. <laughs> oh. A between, spectral gauze, yeah. Yeah, different <laughs> wow. between the pre and post. Wow. Yeah. Like that, that's I wonder great if that's idea. a thing you could actually do. I never thought of that mm. before. I don't know. If that's possible, mm. then you could just, then you could always have that to spy is a parallel almost. You know. Wow. Okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> right. I'm good There's, at tangents. There are, no, that's brilliant. Medusa, I, Medusa, Medusa. Yeah, we're going to do Medusa <laughs> because gonna... I know yes! Gaz is uh, very keen on this. Uh, this we haven't got much. We haven't got much to go on yet, and mm. I have tried to get a bit of uh, uh, extra love out of uh, dread, my Dreadbox oh, contact, uh, but unfortunately. Yes. So this yeah. is. Uh, I mean, Dreadbox, as you know, uh, we're very big fans, or at least I am, and I know Gaz is of the Dreadbox synthesizers. Mm. And Polyend is oh, looking nice. pretty happening in terms of the sequence. In fact, Jamie, I'm uh, pretty sure you've got one of those. Yeah. And this is a combination of both of those technologies in some uh, form, and and I'm kind of quite excited about this. We're going to have to wait till. I had a little tip off about this in Namusi from the Polyend guys, um, who are really smart cookies. I mean, those guys are, mm, ah, they were brilliant. And what they've done here with the Medusa, because the Medusa, of course, was announced last year with an image of what it was going to look like. So pretty much everyone had it sort of, you know, ah, okay. thought they knew, thought they knew what was coming. And you know the 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 uh, the image that was released, you could see it all. So you could see all of the features, all of the knobs, all of the panels, everything as as it was. Now this is completely different. And what happened, and this is what the Polyend guys told me, was that because um, well in the originals, it just had a very small section that said sort of sequencer by Polyend. But I think they just decided, look, if we're going to do this, let's really do it. And I'm just so impressed that this small Greek company, this small Polish company, have just thought. We can do this, and we can take on the best in the business. And uh, so I'm super excited about this because you know the Polyend guys, as I mentioned, very clever, and they're bringing the their sort of um, software and sort of digital know-how, and Dreadbox are bringing their analog and sort of synth voicing know-how. And I think it's uh, wow. I'm it's going to be interesting. I mean, it, it kind mm. of looks at first look. I mean, I'm guessing it's probably a mono or maybe a, a, a paraphonic. It kind of looks a bit like what the circuit mono station could have been if it had enough pads and a better synth, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I th uh, Jamie, have I seen that yes. you've got a Polyend somewhere? Or have, uh, There was a video got, where there, yeah. was, there was one, a Polyend Seek. Seek, seek. Yeah. How would you say it? Seek, seek. Beautiful. They've been very nice. They've been giving me these things, and I've got to say they they're superb. I love I love everything about the way they think about their products. They arrive and they're so tantalizing. The packaging is so great, and the build mm. quality is so nice, and they really work. So yeah, I've been I've been enjoying the Perk Pro and the Seek. Yeah. Uh, I know. I, I look forward to this. It's, it seems like quite a slim. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking Slimmer. at my old polysense, I'm like, how do you get that kind of, how do you get the circuits in a box that small? But, you know, people well, can I'm do wonder I'm wondering that. because I know mm. I've, I've spoken with Yanis uh, a couple of times, who's the head guy that we did a Meet the Makers with him as well. And he was, you know, he's been, he, he, all of their stuff has been hand built basically for a very long time. And I think, you know, they were running into that kind of parrot. The, the bridge where it's like I can't make enough of them with people with soldering irons I don't really want to go surface mount technology so they're sort of working on this concept of you know maybe figuring out how to make things in a more mass-produced fashion and maybe this is one of the one of the the, mm. the first things about that do you know anything about the synth gas because I don't know anything uh, about it at all I, th I think what happened was I think it was pretty much they'd pretty much figured it out in its original form 
but in this back and forward, both of them, both Polyend and Dreadbox, have just kind of increased the functionality. Now, I don't know more than that, I'm afraid, but uh, I, I know that it's going to do a lot more than what Ah, uh, okay. So this was, was the original Medusa. That's it. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes, I and, remember we yeah. did something. And, which has a very similar yeah. look to the Abyss, hasn't it? It's got the same sort of yeah, ethic. Uh, yeah, and and you can sort of see combination of the Nyx and the Erebus and, you know, what, you know. Um, but what I think is interesting as well is that... Um, you know, like the new Behringer Neutron, I think, has has definitely been influenced by the uh, the um, the Erebus. Erebus. Uh, yeah, and uh, and so it's it's interesting that the Dreadbox are going in a different direction. So sort of when, because I was a little bit thinking, oh, you know, when the Neutron came out, I was like, oh, is this going to affect what Dreadbox are doing? But this, well, they don't now, make the, they don't is, make the Erebus anymore, I suppose. They've they? stopped so. the Erebus, haven't they? And sort of like this now looks like they're just i don't know grabbing the bull by the horns and going right let's do this let's make something really really cool so yeah so yeah so and yeah it's not far away is it, it no well we'll will be will be at Superbooth, of course uh and we'll be heading to dreadbox as soon as we possibly can to <laughs> check that out um Jamie, have you have you tried any of the other Erebus, uh, the Dreadbox stuff? Because I have to uh, say, you know, I can see you love your synths. I mean, that's yeah, a fairly Moog heavy yeah. kind of uh, backdrop there, but yeah, it's a Moog heavy mm. backdrop, and uh, which is a bit, you know, doesn't really represent my uh, aesthetic. I mean, oh, the Mini does, but the yeah, the Voyager possibly not as much. Uh, yeah, no, I love I love noisy boxes. Uh, <laughs> I'm all about like something portable too, if it's if it's uh, you know the right size. Uh, but I, I, you know, I was thinking if the, I mean, it's, it's really, really handy to have some kind of sequencer connected to a synth. So if it, if it's, if you can c control easily and kind of in a sort of really, um, user friendly manner, all of the pertinent aspects of the synth and sequence them, it's just gonna make all kinds of new sounds. I mean, obviously that drummer from another mother kind of the most compelling thing about it, obviously is in a way the. The sequence integration isn't it i mean yeah, the sound so. source is not that impressive but it's just the fact that you can modulate and change and and make patterns really quickly uh that's that's it isn't it i mean that's where your inspiration is going to come from and and there'll probably be some randomization and knowing the the polyan guys yeah there'll be some fun mm. little like really good well-functioning sort of uh sequence aspects so, so i like that the, the... You got the seek there, then? Are you just quickly tantalizingly shown us? Um, can you oh, show yes, it again? I'll show you. Yes. <laughs> Have it's you guys got one? Like, oh, no, no, no. But when I played yeah, with one at Nam, I was just struck really by what cool. a beautiful, beautiful thing to use. This, the way the screen, the fonts on the screen, and just the whole kind yeah. of fluid operation of it. It's really nice. So I know a lot of people are kind, of, you know, because it is expensive. But it, when you see it, it looks. It's built to just beautiful quality. It is. And it does make you think. It's great how I was coming up with these. Basically, the last thing I did with it, and it was on another one of my podcasts, I'm just going to keep blatantly plugging it. But um, Go it, ahead. You know, I, I, to be honest, it's been my main source of kind of venting sort of tech, techie things that I might not feel I could justify 
doing you know just in terms of how long they take and why am i doing this why am i hooking up like five monosynths to make a polysynth and i actually made a weird controller for the kenton pro 2000 that i fully made it available as a sysx um patch for max for live with, with ableton 10 you can control sysx obviously so uh now you can control the Pro 2000, every aspect of it from a plug-in, basically. It took me ages as well. But part of the <laughs> lesser-known parts of that Pro 2000, you can turn polyphonic MIDI into a split, into multiple mono. And I've, I've done that with other Max for Live devices before. Like, you can basically split the poly into a bunch of monos. And I, and I was just, what I do, I take the Seek. The Seek thing that's a bit odd is a MIDI only, MIDI out or USB out, which, you know, you'd expect it to be CV out, which probably would have been have you seen sweet. The they new do thing? make a breakout box, Polly. Yeah, the breakout box. With, yeah, that's pretty neat. Though. Yeah, which is smart, which is amazing. It looks mm. it looks great. I mean, it's, that's what you I kind of would need in a way, but I kind of circumvented mm. that. I'd just take the MIDI back into Ableton, have all the tracks in right. kind of, you know, and then split, the, split all the MIDI out and then send the MIDI to the Kenton and then... <laughs> The MIDI text <laughs> text the MIDI and splits that out to CV, so it's a bit convoluted, but it worked. <laughs> wow. And just having mm-hmm. like the sequencer all of a sudden looking at the sequencer and knowing that it was controlling, and that now each it, it, like blob on the sequencer can send out chords and not just monophonic data. So uh, I was getting these really Raymond Scott kind of odd wow. sequences happening, and there's something about step nice. sequences that always makes me happy. And, but most of them are really limited. So like having something that's a little more full, fully functional and with different pattern lengths mm. and you can, you're just looking at it and you sort of start tripping out a bit because it's like after a while it can just look like utter chaos. But sonically, it's, uh, it can be really pretty special. So yeah, I'm a fan. Excellent. I think, there's a time, I think there's a time multiplier coming for the different tracks on the Seek as well soon. So you can run them and, you know, like, all, all at different rates which i think will that kind of stuff is everything in, on yeah. one of these sequences mm. i mean you know because otherwise you are you if you're just keeping it really loopy and, and it kind of feels like a push but it's way more impressive when it's doing the multi things and you know i'm personally a big fan of like bringing a chaos into this stuff but you know yeah it's good mm-hmm. stuff they're gonna they're gonna this box is definitely gonna turn some heads good on them man just such good people mm. they deserve success and it was funny when i was interviewing susan rogers and she was talking about prince she was prince's engineer engineer i'm now happy to go on record to say that i think that susan rogers was prince's producer for purple rain parades and uh around the world in a day and sign of the times because it's no coincidence that she was involved in all those records they were prince's Mm. greatest work without question and when she left david tickle had a hand in them though didn't he 